Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, I know we've got a lot of new people here this morning, so I just want to extend a welcome. My name is JR. I'm one of the pastors on staff here along with Doug Moister, and uh, we're very glad that you're here. Um, we are, you wouldn't know this if you're new, but we're changing a few things up today. So uh, for those of us who've been a part of uh, house churches and our gatherings over the last uh, uh, few weeks uh, have been hearing about this change that we're doing. Now, again, if you're new, it's okay. We'll explain it. You're going to fit right in. It's going to be just fine. But we do have a little bit of a change here uh, this morning. But uh, if you've been new, or if you are new, uh, two weeks ago we just spent the morning kind of kicking off uh, what are we about, uh, what are we after as a church, what do we sense we're supposed to be leaning into as a church. And uh, we talked about three initiatives that we really sense where we need to lean as a group. And the first one is scripture engagement. Not just to know the scriptures knowledge-wise, but to actually engage with it so it gets into our bloodstream. Where we aren't just knowing stuff, but we're integrating. We're imitating exactly the, what the ways of Jesus are about. So that's the first one. The second one are kingdom experiments. And this morning in and of itself is a little bit of an experiment. And so we're going to wrestle with that together. But what does it look like for us to try ways in which we can engage in becoming like Jesus together with others? And the great thing, like we said, with an experiment, if it fails, so what? It's an experiment. We're going to try. We're going to take some risks together and being creative in some of those ways that we can live that out as people of blessing and people of obedience obedience and people of celebration and community with others. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is presence and proximity of just what does it look like for us to be very purposeful, to lean in uh, with being present with one another. It's hard to engage in the scriptures with others. It's hard to launch and be a part of kingdom experiments if we aren't in regular, ongoing uh, presence and, and proximity with other people. So those are those uh, three elements that we're going to engage in. And we are starting uh, a series now on something that we're calling Glimpses of Jesus. Because we just want to be really clear about who Jesus is and what He did. And so we're going to look at people that had interactions with Jesus, how it changed them, and then the implications that that has on us as a community here. So in this experiment of Scripture engagement, uh, here's what we've, we've done. If you're new with us, we've flipped it. Normally what we do is we teach uh, here in a gathering and then hand the house church shepherds resources to say, here's how you go further with what we taught on on Sunday. We decided to flip it. So what we did is we gave the house churches the passage that we're looking at today to discuss and to talk about. And then we're going to actually have you all teach us together. So instead of me being lecturer, I'm much more facilitator, curator this morning. And so if this morning stinks, you have no one to blame but yourself because we're going to shape this together. All right. Now, I know because of the snow, uh, not every house church was able to meet last week because of the ice. And that's OK. Uh, and so we're going to we're going to read that together. If you didn't come prepared, it's OK. But if you did, it's going to make this time even more rich. Uh, things taste better when they marinate. So some of you have been marinating on this passage, which is great. So, next slide. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to... Um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the passage... And then we're going to uh, just circle up into groups of three or four for just a few minutes and look at uh, some very basic questions that will prime the pump for our larger discussion that we'll have about this particular passage. Okay? So as we've done in the past from time to time, would you stand? And I'm going to read Mark chapter 10, 
46 to 52. And then, again, you'll just interact with two or three people around you uh, after I do that. So, let's read God's Word. Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You can be seated. So here's what I'd like for us to do. You see the, the uh, questions up here on the screen? Just circle around. I mean, some introverts are like, oh no, I have to talk to people. Yeah, sorry, you do. But we're, just gonna, we're not going to do this for very long. But I want you to just find two or three people in front of you, uh, behind you, next to you. And, uh, and what we just read, I want you to discuss some of these and then we'll, we'll discuss that together. Alright? Ready? Go. Okay. Alright, so again, here's how this is going to work. We're going to be in discussion. We're going to shape that together here in the, the larger time together. And maybe you're too shy to share, and that's okay. No one's going to force you to do that. But maybe you say, someone else in my group can share what I shared if you want, and that's fine. But uh, all that we would ask is that if you want to um, share something in this discussion, that you would just stand up and make sure that you speak loudly so that we can hear uh, and that would be great. So, um, again, just make sure you, you speak up. I'll try to repeat it, uh, but if you need to repeat it, just kind of uh, raise your hand. But I just want to start with this. The, the irony of starting a series on the glimpses of Jesus is interesting that we talk about a blind man, isn't it? This is sort of an interesting way to kick off the series uh, in that. But um, just a little bit of brief background there. Bartimaeus, um, Bar, right, or Bar Mitzvah, right? Bar means son of... Timaeus means honor. So it's the son of honor. So I don't know how that might inform how we read this story. Um, but, uh, and Jericho, as we know, is right near the Dead Sea. It's the lowest city on the face of the earth in terms of elevation. It's the uh, oldest, uh, longest inhabited city in the world. Uh, people have been living in it for almost 10,000 years continually. So it's very interesting. Uh, that's where this story takes place. So uh, let's look at some of those questions. So what's going on in the passage? How did you wrestle with it? Maybe even last week or, or even just this morning and what you shared. What were some, some, some insights or some things that stuck out to you for the first time that maybe you hadn't seen before, especially if you've read this passage before? What's happening? Yeah, Blaine. Yeah, yeah. And he persists in calling on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Tell him to shut up. You bet. Yeah. What else? It's good. What else did you notice 
maybe what you liked or didn't like. Yeah, Ken. That, uh, that Jesus really accepted him as he was. Huh. And, you know, really showed him love regardless of whether he was yelling or not. Huh. And what he had done, whatever, you know, he didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, great. What else? Yes, Bob. I had the sense that the people around Jesus also asked him to shut up. Huh. Huh. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it seems that the disciples, um, they want to set up the business of the kingdom of God, right? And so they kind of want to get to work, only to realize that stopping for a blind beggar is actually the work of the kingdom of God. <laughs> right? That's sort of, sort of the big lesson that we see. Yeah. Now remember in Mark, it seems that the, who's the group of, who's the group that gets Jesus the most all throughout Mark? No? The demons. And who are the knuckleheads that it takes the longest to get who Jesus is? The disciples. So notice this interplay that's happening back and forth. Not that there's presence of demons here, but you'll see like the people that shouldn't get it are getting it. The people that should get it aren't getting it, right? I mean, it's just... Mark wants to see this irony, this contrast that's there. You know, you think you're doing the work of the kingdom of God by shushing them only to realize Jesus saying, no, no, this is the kingdom of God. This is what it's about. This is where I came. Yeah. Yeah, what else? What else? Yeah, Bob. One of the senses, when they said, be happy, I sensed that there was sarcasm. Huh, huh. Be happy, you jerk. Huh. Interesting. Huh. Did anybody else in your house churches or discussion this morning think about that? You're like, cheer up. Wow, I never thought about that, Bob. That's interesting. Huh. Because they were close to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Steve. Of course, I like the immediately blind man received the sight. And I shared with the group here, I also dislike that immediately the blind man received the sight. Mm. Why is that? Because I've got friends. I've got friends that's blind. I have friends that are paralyzed and, you know, mm. and they're not immediately healed. Huh. Like, like, so that's the, I, I don't like that it's, it's not just a magic prayer. Huh. It's, it's deeper than that and I don't understand. Like, I get huh. frustrated when I'm like, see, God, you can do it. Why don't you do it with my friend? Huh. So, I yeah, like good. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, Kent. The little phrase in there where it said he threw off his cloak and went running to Jesus, that kind of caught me today for some reason. Yeah. It was like, I don't know if the guy was like throwing off things that were encumbering him to get to Jesus. Huh. But there's something more significant. I don't know, but that just kind of caught me. Yeah, yeah. Um, several people think that um, the cloak would be used, obviously, for covering up in terms of uh, being cold. But he might have laid it out as sort of his, you know, instead of a hat, you know. <laughs> like that's sort of, please throw money on my cloak here as you're walking by. By the way, almsgiving in Jewish tradition is a very... It's a, if you're a righteous Jew, almsgiving was a normal part of what you did. So that wouldn't just be out of the ordinary. That would, you remember um, you know, Peter, when he's going into the temple for the time of prayer in Acts, 
Right? And there's a guy waiting out there. That's a very strategic guy because worship, part of worship is almsgiving. So you would be a pretty strategic beggar to be right outside the temple at the time of prayer. Right? So that would be a normal thing to be giving of alms as a Jew in the first century. So, yeah, so it could have been his collection plate, if you will. So, yeah, Johnny. So, I guess, I, I think I see another element of faith in here. Not just asking for sight, but when it says, Son of David, uh, I'm guessing that this is actually tied to him putting his faith that he's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Because the Messiah is from the lineage of David, which Jesus was from the same tribe, but also the, the fact that the Messiah was so closely tied to David because he was going to take David's throne forever. I think he's really saying, I'm placing faith in you as the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just, I have faith you can have my sight. He's saying, I have faith that you're the one we've been waiting for for ages. Yeah. No, the son of David phrase is acknowledging you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Liam, in the back. I had, I had trouble with the fact that he asks the wrong thing. Hmm. Because I ask the wrong thing all the time. Huh. He's got the Messiah in front of him. He doesn't ask for the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't ask for the demon. He asks for a need that's obvious and temporal and immediate. He's right in front of him. He's trapped in front of us. Wow. Yeah, Michael. Kind of to this point, I, I kind of see this as a story about worship, disguised as a blind man. Hmm. The purpose isn't the guy received his sight, it's after he received his sight to follow Jesus. Hmm. So, like, in a sense, he asked for the wrong thing, but the result was the right thing. Huh, huh. Wow. That's great. How about some, yes, April. So, we were sitting in our little group talking, and he pulled up the study Bible, and it just talked a little bit about um, just what. A beg, like the beggar being blind and that in that time is that the blindness was considered a curse from God for sin. So I thought that it was interesting that he's sitting there, he's blind, he's asking for like Jesus to come. And Chip had made a really great point too that he couldn't see, he had no idea what Jesus looked like or he just knew his hmm. sound and he was just kind of like, here, I'm here, like save me. And everyone was shushing him. And that would make sense in that time because it was looked at as a sin. Like, he's already, like, cursed. He's condemned. Forget about him. But then that's what they were supposed to be doing. So back to the point of, like, it's interesting that this is what you're supposed to be doing and you're silencing him. Yeah. Do you remember the story of the man uh, blind since birth? What, 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 did the, what was the question asked of Jesus? Did he sin or was it his parents? Right? Jewish understanding. That it's punishment for sin. Right? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot here. You guys are really seeing the like the the texture. There's some real depth to this story. We can read the story and keep moving, but there's a lot here, and you all are really tapping in. This this is great. Any other insights? What what bothered you? Yeah, Michael. Um, I'm not sure if it's bothering you, but this is an insight. It reminded me of, of the word persistence came up a lot in our in the conversation in our emails and. Um, it reminded me that God is not afraid of us to be persistent, and, and as far as I can tell, He actually admires that. And He will use the word negotiate, but kind of dialogues even with Abraham. And, and sometimes He gives us what we want. Our mistake is we didn't know what we really wanted, so we mm. be, okay, God, should I be asking for this? 
But sometimes mm. say, here you go, yeah. So not to be afraid to keep on asking. And his parents who tend to, hey kid, I already told you no enough. And he doesn't do that with us. Yeah. And persistence, I actually think, may be too mild of a word. The word that ran through my mind this week was desperation. And that idea that faith and desperation are often linked. Right? I mean, faith is acknowledging, I am high maintenance. It's hard to be low maintenance and lean into God. And I wonder if that's the very thing that stopped Jesus in His tracks. Right? He said He stopped. Right? I just imagine He's walking through and then... Call that guy. Yeah, call him over. I, I wonder if the desperation was the very reason this story happens. I think there's some things for us to like chew on regarding this idea of desperation in an American culture where we can pretty much get whatever we want whenever we want. We can just put it on a credit card even if we don't have the money for it. Alright? When was the last time you were truly desperate? Now, desperation is not often seen as a good word, right? I mean, oh, that guy's so desperate for that girl. I mean, look at him. He's making a fool of himself. You know? Oh, she's so desperate. She would... Right? It's never a good thing. Right? But the values of the crowd say, don't be desperate. Shut up. He doesn't want... Shut, shut up. But the values of the kingdom say, we flip it upside down. When you're desperate... It can stop Jesus in his tracks and say, yeah, call him over here. Yeah, call her over. I want to, I want to talk to her. I want to be with him. When was the last time you were desperate? Now, how about the rebuking? And don't answer this too quickly. But what are you rebuking? Who are you rebuking? By the way, who else, what other group of people was rebuked by his disciples? Children. Children. That's exactly right. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the rebukers. (laughs) Again, Jesus is too important. He doesn't have time for you little kids only to realize that the business of the kingdom is the kids. He goes on to say what? Unless you become like a little child... Those of you who are parents know that the word desperation seems to be a regular pattern among children. (laughs) Maybe the way we become like children is acknowledging our desperation more. Maybe in faith it's leaning in to put ourselves in situations where we are voluntarily choosing to trust Jesus because we have become desperate in our following. I love something that Cindy Culp has said uh, a few years ago, and it hit me right between the eyes. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, right? Well, why do we need comfort? Because if we're following Jesus obediently, He's going to take us to uncomfortable places. So if we follow Jesus obediently, we're going to be uncomfortable and desperate. And what are we doing? And this is so un-American, and I'm stepping out into doing some radical things that people around me think I'm being crazy. And the Holy Spirit then comes and comforts us and says, It's alright, I'm with you. You're not going to be alone. Right? There's a lot of discomfort that happens in this story. So, yeah, someone else, there was another hand, I think. Over here. Yes, yes. 
focus in on this question that Jesus asks. Because this startled me for a while. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm I'm just going to be really honest with you um, the way that I read this a few years ago. What do you think, Jesus? Take a flying guess. What do you think He wants? I mean... I think the average human would know that, but the Son of God, I mean, you know. Why do you ask the question? And I started to think of the first question that's asked in the Bible, right? God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? What does He not know? Of course He knows. So why does Jesus ask? I don't know about you, but I think there are times where I know what I want, or I think I know what I want, but I need to acknowledge it verbally. I need to get it out. Rather than keep it to myself, I just need to acknowledge this is what I want. Now, let me take it a step further. Again, almsgiving, very valued in the first century. If you're a crippled or blind person, you know, no life insurance policy, no health care, whatever. So you depended upon other people. They understood the community that Dave was talking about a lot more than we do today. So you could actually make a livable wage as a beggar on the almsgiving of other people. Here's the deal. If you are completely healthy, no one gives you alms. So, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I think if I could reword it as, I know what you want, I just need to hear that that's really what you want. Because, If that's what you want, you're going to be healthy. And you, your whole life, have known nothing but begging. And you've made a living. Which means it's going to cost you something if I'm going to give you what you want. You're going to have to learn a trade. You're going to have to go do something and work with your hands. And go have a job. Are you willing to make that sacrifice to go do that? If that's what you really want. I take that to mean that not only do I need to acknowledge what I really want before God, but I think there are times where Jesus says to me, are you sure that's what you want? I can heal you, but healing always comes at a price. 
It's for your benefit, but it's also going to change you and there's going to be sacrifice required and your life is going to be different. Let that sink in, because I think that has some implications for us. That what we want may be good to acknowledge, but what we want may require something of us and from us that is very difficult. Now some of you, because you've told me, you often say, I I just, I don't even know what to pray. I am so dry. I don't even know where to start. Let me, let me give you a heads up. If you don't know what to pray, imagine Jesus sitting in the passenger seat of your car or in your living room or joining you at the breakfast table and leaning in and going, what do you want me to do for you? And whatever that answer is that you come up with, use that as training wheels for your prayers. Don't just acknowledge it to other people. You can start there, but acknowledge it to God. That may be a great thing for you to think through even this coming week with your house church. If Jesus were to come to our house church and say, what do you want me to do for you and what do you all want me to do for your house church? How would you answer that? And whatever you answer in that, then move right into prayer and acknowledge that while thinking, what will this require of me in our house church if Jesus were to answer this prayer? So let me ask you this. Who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? I hate to admit it. I think that I am the rebuking crowd more often than not. Tempted to believe that what Jesus wants are respectable Christians. Low-maintenance Christians. And if I can just keep my stuff together, at least my stuff together enough that you don't think my stuff isn't together, then I'll be okay. Only to realize that those that acknowledge publicly, not just to Jesus, but to other people, I don't have my stuff together. That that's somehow when Jesus shows up and a life-altering interaction with Jesus occurs. Who are you? In the story, and let me ask you this, if you can relate to Bartimaeus, where are you blind? Where do we think we can see, but we actually don't? Maybe we think we know what the kingdom is about, but we don't. And maybe we need to acknowledge, Lord, we want to see the way you see, because maybe we're only seeing the way American Christianity sees. Lord, will you help us see what it means to be about the kingdom of God and not just about promoting our church? Maybe there are some scales that need to fall off our eyes and my eyes and your eyes. and Unlearning some things that maybe aren't necessarily true. So let me, and this, this is a loaded question, but this is our last one, because, but this is really important. But, so what, this is that last of the five that you interacted with. What do, we, what do we do with this? What implications does this have for you personally, but how about for us as a church? If we learn about the character of God and the nature of Jesus by this story, 
And we're trying to lean in to understand, to know, to integrate the way of Jesus into who we are and the way we live individually, but also collectively. What does this mean for us? What do we do with this to make sure that this isn't just some fun Bible conversation in the gym on a Sunday morning? What do we do with this? Jen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I had a thought a little bit ago, and it took me a minute to find it. But um, what the whole, what he was asking for was his sight, and to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. And it just, um, like the verse kept coming to me, that verse kept coming to me, and it's in Luke um, 13, mm. verse 48. And it says, But the one who does not know and does not, who does things deserving punishment will be beaten with blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So I think like that kind of just goes along with what you were saying. Yeah. He was asking for something and much more was going to be required of him. Yeah. Once he was given that. Yeah. And it is interesting, he didn't really he wasn't really obedient to Jesus, was he? You ever think about that at the end? What did he say to him? Go! But what did he do? He stayed. I wonder what Jesus thought about that. I told you to go, but why are you following me? Or maybe he was saying, great, go with me. I don't know, but it... I, when I think go, it means like, leave. But it says, and Jesus left, and the man followed him. I find that interesting. I don't know what to do with that, but... Yeah, Bob. It, it might be that uh, you followed the way... I really wrestle with the aspect of creating a ruckus. And desperate people will create a ruckus. Mm. Desperate people need to be heard. Uh. And I find I don't really like to listen to people who make a ruckus. Mm. Mm. And there's something festering in the lives of people who make a ruckus. Mm. And it really demands attention. Mm. And that seems to be uh, the greatest rebuke I personally found. Uh. But I think to go along with that too, like when you when you call the ruckus and you are blessed, I think we also need to ask the question: well, What is he requiring of that? Mm. Like, if you get a better job, what does that mean? Mm. Like, I've asked for it, I've received it. Does that mean I need to give more? Probably. Mm. Mm. And where is that? Mm. If you ask to have a child and it was hard, and you have one. What is he requiring of me? What is mm. he asking of me? How mm. can I use this as a blessing? Like he blessed yeah. me, how can I use this in a blessing? Yeah, I great. Know. I don't know, that's kind of... Okay, I'll share something with everyone. Um, <laughs> as you probably all heard before, I struggled through school for the last two years, and I finally graduated. And um, that was a huge struggle for me. And it was a very dark time in my life. And... I, my fear was afterwards that I wasn't going to be able to get a job. Well, now one week I've not only gotten a job in MRI, which is incredibly hard, I've also have gotten a job at Brandview, which is close to where I live. And these are things that I've been praying for, and pray God was not going to get those to me. And um, what a crack is. <laughs> I just, um, on my way to work, I just could not believe that He's blessed me with so much. And so that verse has kept coming to me, like, you've mm. asked me so much, how can I, you've given me so much, I now need to give. Like, mm. where is that in my life? I'm, like, exploding with thanks and praise. And and um, even when times were bad, he was good. Mm. And I remember that. 
and I and I sang that and I continue to sing that. And mm. I said, God, if this is not your will, if something good in my life is gonna cause me to not look at you, I don't want it. Mm. If more money is gonna cause me to not walk with you, I don't want it. If life mm. hard causes me to follow you, that's what I want. Mm. So I said, let whatever it is be your will, but I want what you want for me. Mm. And if it is blessing, then I want to be blessing others. Mm. So um, I don't know, that is just that passage has really just struck hard with me this last this all just happened last week, actually. Mm. So um, I don't know, it just goes to that. Like I felt yeah. like I was in that desperate place. I was mm. in school and I was I don't know if I would say I was depressed, but I was pouring my life into something that I sucked at. Like, mm. I'm not a good test taker. I'm not a good studier. I put a lot of work into it. I gave up everything that I liked, mm. you know? I gave up things. I gave up, you know, spending time with my husband. I gave up working. That's what I like to do, you know? Mm. Mm. To do something that I felt like I was called to. Mm. And I feel like I'm finally being blessed. And I just, I praise him, I thank him, but I also want to say, like, I want to be in his will, and I want to if I'm being blessed, I want to bless Well, that response sounds very Jesus-ish, which is great. I have that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. You know, uh, we need to land the plane here. I mean, we could just go. Oh, Alex. Uh, I just want to share real quick. I shared with some of my house churches. House church directly, and all you guys can listen in, too. Because the question that came up with what would you want Jesus to do for you, um, I had sort of like a breakdown, and I said I wanted God to kill me, basically. That's why I would want to be gone on this planet. And so my house church really gathered around me and prayed for me, and they spoke to me throughout the week. And then I had a really great phone call from the Holy Spirit himself. And he answered and said, hey, Alexander, about that request, I mean, you're already dead. Christ is the one living in you. And I just want you guys to hear that. That's the answer that God himself gave back. And just meditate on that. It kept me out of trouble. You guys know I have some addiction issues. And last night I was really struggling. And it's like a dead man can't be an addict. I'm already dead. Hmm. <laughs> this is Christ pushing through me. And how weird is that? I didn't even realize I mean, what I was asking for, death, is the very answer I need. Hmm. I, hmm. like, I already did that. You crucify with Christ. Christ is the one alive in you now. So mm-hmm. house church, that was the answer back. And God already answered my request. He mm-hmm. killed me with Christ on the cross. And now we're resurrected and Christ is doing a living. Mm-hmm. Help me, keep me accountable to remember that. If you see me mm-hmm. trying to resurrect myself, remind me I'm dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Let me let me end with this. We started saying Bartimaeus meant what? Son of. And all the crowd thought he was being dishonorable. And yet, Mark's the only one that mentions his name. The rest just say blind beggar, right? I think what Mark is saying, what you think is honor in the world, is not. But what God honors, He is the Son of Honor in the way He responded. So, I end with this. Are you a Bartimaeus? In your blindness, do you have the courage to be dishonorable in the sight of of the world? 
in order to lean into what honors God's heart in desperation, to acknowledge your desperation, to see that healed, and then to begin to walk in the direction of Jesus even further. And I love um, what the other translations or the other uh, passages say. It says that not only did he walk, that others joined in and they praised God because of what just had happened. Imagine if your Bartimaeus world is what inspired other people to say, I will praise God too, just like we clapped for Bartimaeus' burden over here. Imagine that. And that's why we do this thing called communion. Because we come in our desperation saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because I cannot do this myself. And that's why we say, if you're here to receive grace and mercy from Jesus, you're welcome at the table. Well, this has been a fantastic start to this flipping experiment. Not flipping experiment, like flipping experiment. (laughs) And I thank you for participating in that. And uh, let's keep chewing on this idea of Bartimaeus and what our response is. You see this glimpse of Jesus and how all of you helped with your glimpses help us get a more robust understanding of the nature of God, the character of the kingdom, and even more about this story. I hope it's gotten into your bloodstream more than if I had just given some teaching myself. Keep interacting. Keep asking questions of your house church, of me, of Doug, of other people. Why is this in there? Why that? Because that's how we actually engage with the Scriptures further. So thanks for participating in that. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I just want you to hold your hands out in front of you. I want you to close your eyes. And I do want you to imagine Jesus looking at you here in this gym, sitting in front of you and turning his chair around and looking at you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? And sit with that. Don't answer that too quickly. Take a moment, a self-examination to ask, what is it that I would respond to if Jesus were to ask me that? Whatever in your spirit you've just acknowledged, quietly in your own spirit, whisper that to Him. And listen, because He may have a response to that for you. Just like He had for Alex. So ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything you want to respond to my answer with? Father, thank You for this story. 
this story, what seemed to be a blind man from long ago, may actually be us. The story about a rebuking crowd that we can look down our noses and condescend may actually be us. But regardless of who we are in the story, you actually call us to be like Jesus in the story. May we follow you closely enough to realize that we don't have to be so busy in trying to set up the kingdom of God that we actually forget that blind, desperate beggars are actually what the kingdom is about. Thanks for this story and all of its encouragement and all of its confrontation. (laughs) And Lord, help us to not just have a great discussion here. May we take what you've given to us. And may we steward it well by living it out, by confessing, by blessing others, by being aware of how you may be involved in our lives this week, by being more desperate, by not being afraid of political correctness, but living into what you and the kingdom are about. And it's with that that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for participating in this. This was fun. This was fun. Thank you for teaching me. It's really fun when you're the teacher and you get to learn in the process. So, thanks.